Welcome back to The Intersection, a podcast about where the gospel story meets our culture. I'm your host, Ben Armstrong. Last episode, we started on a two-episode journey on shalom and uh, really looking at what the Bible has to say about it. And you know, some, some of our listeners might have listened to that episode. And if, if you're joining us for the first time in this episode, we invite you to go back and listen to the first episode. But you, m- you might be wondering, like, why would we take two episodes and talk about a Hebrew word from the Old Testament like, why, why would we spend the time doing that? What's the profit in it? What do we learn from it? Why, why should we spend any time focusing on that? So, Dr. Clem, why, why are we talking about shalom? Well, I think for a couple of reasons. Uh, first, I would say that we're living in this uh, crisis moment, pandemic. We're living in a time when it seems like the world is upside down in many ways. And and so many challenges are coming at us from many different directions. And even just listening to the news, you hear this cry or you hear this longing for some some peace, some wellness. And of course, our Hebrew word shalom communicates that idea of peace and wellness and wholeness of a life that is thriving. And so our second reason for addressing this is that our podcast is dedicated to looking at the scriptures from this story perspective, a missional drama, biblical theology kind of approach to the details of Scripture. And in that story that we see, that true story that's been recorded and preserved for us in the authoritative Word of God, we see shalom addressed. We see shalom provided and paid for by our Lord God. We see it guaranteed in the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And we see that it is part of the, the story. The characters in the story are encouraged to pursue shalom, to experience shalom. And so it's for that reason we want to look at it. We want to hopefully dig into different parts of the scripture, offer some practical suggestions, and um, bring some hope with regard to how we live as actors created in the image and likeness of God in the story that he's created for us to live out. That's excellent. So last time we ended our episode saying that we would jump right into where we find shalom in the story. Where do we see shalom and it playing out in God's people? Well, it, we find it across the, the contour of the plot line of scripture. And we see it in creation, for example, in the garden, God with Adam and Eve. And shalom is rich, it's plentiful, it's pleasant. Uh, the life of Adam and Eve in the garden with the Lord God was a life of shalom, uh, obviously up until the time they were tempted and rejected what the Lord God had made provision for them for. And then we can jump from there, for example, we could go to Mount Sinai, where the Lord God is, is detailing what it means to be a kingdom of priests, to people he's redeemed out of, the nation, out of Egypt. And uh, Rene Girard, Uh, makes a comment that the 10th word in the 10 words of what we typically call the 10 commandments in Exodus 2017 addresses the misdirected desire of coveting. And he goes on to say that it is the gateway through which all other commands are broken. And ultimately, coveting is what robs the community of shalom. And so we see it 
created and provided for, experienced and enjoyed in the garden. And then, of course, we, we see uh, how the Lord addresses it specifically with the idea of coveting and how coveting can rob a community of its shalom and its peace. And you know, when we're discontent and we want what others have, there's no peace in all that. Again, just moving along, wilderness wanderings, uh, the priestly blessing for the nation on the way to the promised land. And we think about this, uh, Numbers 6, 24 to 26, and there have been some really beautiful uh, musical renditions of the Levitical priestly blessing. I think of one uh, written by John Rutter that I especially enjoy. But this whole idea of this blessing for the nation on the way to the promised land. And shalom is the last word of the priestly blessing. Shalom is the goal of Israel's journey as they set out for the promised land. And what we see is God leading the way to this peace. Now, do they, do they get that? Not yet. <laughs> yeah, they don't get it, do they? They, they don't really experience it. It's, it's like a promise. It's what God intended and desired, but through their own sinful choices and their own rebellious activity, they forfeit it. So could you, could you summarize maybe a, a principle that we see early on in the nation of Israel is um, God promises rest through obedience? Is that an accurate statement? Yes, he does. And in fact, in the covenant blessings and curses, we see that, that those who align with God's covenant, commit themselves to him and to his word, uh, will experience shalom, wellness, uh, well-being. But you have to think, okay, well, is that promise too much? Did, is it unrealistic? Did they ever really experience it? And I think we have to let the story orient us to when we will ultimately enjoy that well-being. And for the nation of Israel, it was like, well, there'll be a certain measure of rest and well-being and peace when we're in the promised land. But when once they're in that promised land, as we see in the period of settlement, Joshua, Judges, Samuel, uh, we see that uh, they did not experience the rest that God had intended for them. And so we keep looking, you know, so that historical recounting keeps pointing us forward to a, to a time in the future uh, when uh, the Lord Jesus will set up his kingdom and rest will be fully experienced. So it's almost, almost like an already, you already are experiencing some peace inwardly uh, through the word, through the ministry of the spirit, but it's not as good as it's going to be. There's, there's an, a not yet of shalom to be experienced. And the reason Israel failed to experience that is because they, you know, they, they didn't extinguish the enemies that God had commanded them. They didn't fulfill the mission God had given them to do. So they, they were plagued by the nations around them that they failed to take out at first. They intermarried, they worshiped idols. There were all different kinds of things that ultimately robbed them of the promise that God had had given to them if they had obeyed him right? and the shalom that they would have, have experienced. Um, and that really, you know, leads all the way up to uh, why Israel wants a king, right? In First yes. Samuel, yeah, in First Samuel, First Kings eight and nine, you see, uh, you see David being set up as the the first king, followed by his son Solomon, and you see that uh, in First Kings eight and nine, 
when Solomon is dedicating the temple, even though the word shalom does not appear in these chapters, you see, for example, after the dedication of the temple, Solomon offers a peace offering, a shalom offering, an offering of well-being, anticipating you know, that the, the king in oversight and rulership of his kingdom, the subjects will experience shalom. And so there's this anticipation for sure in 1 Kings 8 and 9. Even though the word is not there, the concept is the, the act of sacrifice in my mind, anticipates that that this offering of peace is what we want and what we long for and what we experience, and we know that that the Messiah is the one who will ultimately provide it. Hmm. How do the uh, how do the prophets and the Psalms, the poetry, how do they anticipate or portray a shalom to come? Oh, uh, Isaiah in particular uh, thinks of the coming Messiah. He's known as the Prince of Peace. They shall call his, you know, this is what they shall call his name, uh, Prince of Peace. And then, of course, Isaiah 26, verse 3, coupled with Isaiah 9, 6. And then looking at verse 12, looking at Isaiah 66, verse 12, you know, the Messiah was the one who would bring the peace. He is the peace. He provides the peace. And uh, we long for him. And then, of course, you go to Micah. Uh, chapter 5, verses 4 and 5, out of Bethlehem will come the one who will be the peace of Israel, the shalom of Israel. And, uh, you know, just reflecting on some psalms, the Lord is the source of shalom in the present. It is the Lord God, Psalm 85, verse 8, who promises peace to his people, to his saints. Uh, verse 10, same psalms, uh, shalom or quietness and confidence are the fruits of the effects of the Lord's righteousness. And then um, Isaiah 26, the Lord will keep you, that is the nation, in perfect peace, or as the text reads, peace, peace, whose mind is steadfast. And, you know, there's that resolve. And I think that's where um, it might be helpful as we start to unpack, well, how as characters in the story should we think of this peace and how do we rightfully long for it? How do we pray in light of it? How do we live in light of it? And, you know, Isaiah talks about one whose mind is steadfast. In other words, there's this, this inner resolve of trust in the Lord God, uh, because in you trusting, you know, the, the individual is, you know, specifically, pointedly, intentionally, literally in you trusting, you know, in you, Lord, trusting. And that resolve is guarded with peace. So when we have that resolve, the guard that will surround us is peace, peace. And so there is that as, as an actor, as a character in the story, we look to the Lord God as the source and provider of peace. And there is an inner resolve to trust regardless of all the chaos that spins around us. And that, you know, that just goes back to the way God designed the world in creation. That was what Adam and Eve were called to do as God walked with them in the garden. There's that portrayal of trust and intimacy and relationship and guarding and a beautiful world for them to live in. And then, you know, what's the fall? It's them choosing to not trust in God, but to trust in their own wisdom, trust in their own solutions and we're plunged into what we see today. But really the call to live in shalom is how God's designed 
human beings to live right. all the way back in the garden. Right. And, so one of the one of the key ideas that we had in the initial uh, podcast that introduced the concepts of shalom and the why that we're investigating shalom is this idea that we will really thrive. We've been created by the Lord God in his image and likeness, and it is God's intention that we live well, we experience well, and we thrive in this life. Not in a uh, prosperity gospel kind of a sense, but I, I think that we just need to come back to the simple truth that our well-being is ultimately rooted in our relationship with the Lord God. And Isaiah chapter 26 really does hammer that home for us. Verse 3, the Lord will keep you in perfect peace whose mind is steadfast. So there's that inner resolve, there's that intentionality, there's that unflinching look at the Lord God. And then as we trust the Lord, he's going to keep us in perfect peace. And so that doesn't mean that that all of the wars and all of the strifes and all the broken relationships will end now or immediately, but there will be a guarding or a keeping through those. And the storyline that we are unpacking <clears throat> reminds us that it's coming in a future day. Hmm, I think that's excellent. So how do we see shalom in something like the New Testament? So obviously, you know, the word you know, isn't used in the Hebrew in, in the New Testament. So, you know, how do we start to think about shalom uh, with Christ and the work that is, uh, you know, forecasted in the Old Testament? Where do we see that specifically? The, the idea is, is intimately connected, or the theme is intimately connected with New Testament vocabulary and uh, the work of Christ. And shalom is ultimately accomplished by Christ through his death, burial, and resurrection. And there are so many scriptures that underscore that. I, I think perhaps of Acts uh, 10, 36 and Romans 5, 1. Philippians 4, 7 uh, talks about the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So in Christ, our hearts are guarded by the very peace of God, which surpasses our own understanding. That's a beautiful text. Oh, it is. And Colossians 1.20, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross, through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. And then to, you know, in chapter three, to go on to that, like, okay, what does it look like? Well, he says, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which you are indeed called in one body. So there's that resolve. There's that, yes. like, intentionality, like, We've, we've been, Christ has won this peace for us, and now there's this letting it rule in our hearts, focusing on it. Yes, exactly. And then we look forward, as we read through the storyline of, of the New Testament scriptures, we see Christ's reign and rule will bring a fully restored shalom, and we are reminded by Paul in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14, that the Lord Jesus Christ is our peace. And so uh, there is no shalom without Christ. And so we, uh, apart from Christ, we will not have any peace. And so that's what I think makes the story so beautiful. When you see how we were created in the image and likeness of God in the garden, we see what Adam and Eve and those original, and, you know, those original inhabitants of the garden experienced. And we see that just because of rebellion and disobedience and the robbing of shalom along the way in the different events of the story, 
doesn't negate God's promise to ultimately bring it and to fulfill it. And we see then Christ securing it, um, making it uh, you know, unshakable and uh, inevitable. And then we come to the book of Revelation and we see how God setting up his kingdom will be the one who reigns and rules and, and certainly establishes it. What a great hero to have in a story, right? I mean, yes. you think about the yes. storyline where, you know, all good stories have that thing that is lost and then, you know, someone that rescues and restores and redeems and to think about how God created the world and then uh, how in Adam we threw that off and to think of how gracious God is as the author to not stop the story there, but to write this incredible drama uh, of restoring peace to humanity through Christ. What a beautiful... It is. It's a beautiful story, yeah. Yeah, and it's the best story that uh, um, stands out among all the competing worldviews in in the world in which we live. You know, so what we've been talking about, Ben, is kind of we're doing a a look at shalom biblically, theologically, scripturally, and you know we see this call to peace. Uh, We see Christ providing it for us, ultimately going to implement it in His coming kingdom, and. Of course, we're interested in knowing, well, how do we act in the moment? What can we do not only to think biblically and clearly about shalom, but you know, what are some things that we can do physically or as part of our daily routine that will work hand in glove and will be a, a wonderful and beautiful integration of you know, biblical content with practical living? And I know it's kind of an area that you have an interest in, so maybe you could share some thoughts on, you know, what does it look like in the daily routine of life? Hmm. Well, I think part of shalom, uh, you know, we've talked a little bit about it, is is well-being. So it includes things like rest. So that's that's a theme throughout Scripture. Rest is everywhere in the story, um, but it also touches, you know, so rest is you know mainly sleep, uh, but then there's also food, there's exercise, like all of these areas start to practically touch how we interact with being well. It struck me pretty recently, you know, no time in history have we had the access to as much information as we do as humans. So to be able to open up my phone, check every social media platform, see what's going on around the world, the depravity around the world, the issues around the world, just inundated with information. The, there are recent studies that say the average American is exposed over 15 and a half hours of either traditional or a non-traditional Uh, media, entertainment, information a day, 15 and a half hours a day. Um, So just bombarded by information. And a lot of it isn't good news. A lot of it isn't peaceful news. A lot of it is chaos. It's suffering. It's sorrow. And so, you know, know, the burning question in my heart is, uh, you know, 25, I'm in seminary. It's like, well, like, how do I rest well? Like, (laughs) I've got all this information, all of this stuff to process, you know, my mind is just constantly going, what does it look like to rest? And so um, a few years ago, I read a book by David Murray called Reset, uh, Living a Grace-Paced Life in a Burnout Culture. Well, that sounds appropriate. <laughs> it's a book mainly um, focused towards pastors and those in ministry because they're particularly prone to burnout. His stuff really on sleep is so helpful. It says, few things are as theological as sleep. Mm. It is a profound that statement. Is, yeah, we don't think of sleep as a theological activity. And he proves it. He says, you know, if we pride ourselves on sleeping only five hours a night, 
we preach the following truths. I don't trust God with my work, my church, or my family. I don't respect how my creator has made me. I don't believe that my soul and body are linked. I don't need to demonstrate my rest in Christ or I worship idols. Like why sleep when it does nothing to burnish my reputation or advance my glory? I mean, there's all of these like piercing questions and statements about like how we rest portrays the story we believe. We can proclaim a story with our lips, but then you know he's saying how you actually sleep at night is gonna determine what story you believe, what, what you're proclaiming. You know, he has all these facts, all these studies in his book, but he's basically pointing to the fact that God has made us as humanity to live a certain way. And when we reject that, even for good things, it's actually really detrimental to how we live as humans. So he has all these, you know, leads to chronic sleep deprivation associated with increased risk of all these physical things like stroke, cancer, high blood pressure, heart disease, all the stuff we want to avoid. Sleep loss increases hunger, desire for larger portion sizes, preference for high calorie or high carb foods. Like that's that's where I was in college. I mean, I stress <laughs> I stress ate so much. He said in sleep, in short, sleeping is not a useless waste of time. It's an essential biological need. You know, in, in our culture, especially church culture, we can um, divorce our physical well being from our spiritual well being. And he just pushes us to think, no, like we are a very complicated, interwoven being. How you sleep at night affects what you're going to be prone to do the next day. And he has a great quote. He says, if you are among those who become nasty, cynical, or even full of doubt when you're missing your sleep, you are morally obligated to try to get the sleep you need. Morally obligated. We are whole complicated beings. Sometimes the godliest thing you can do in the universe is get a good night's sleep, not pray all night but sleep. I'm not certainly denying there is a place for praying all night. I'm merely insisting that it is the normal course of spiritual discipline that you obligate yourself to get the sleep your body needs. Mm. So for me personally, like writing papers late at night, you know, studying late at night, uh, you know, trying to find a balance. I think living out shalom practically for me means limiting the amount of information I ingest in a day and then protecting my sleep at night. And so I think uh, that's been really helpful for me as we think about like sleep, but you know, even food, think of first Corinthians 10 31, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatever you do to all the glory of God, even something as basic as what we eat or drink is to glorify God. It either minimizes him or it maximizes him. It either says we're in the true story or we're believing lies. So like everything that we do in a daily basis, those practical things matter in how we live out the story. Do I portray that? Um, I am well in Christ, and so I'm going to try to mirror that in what I do on earth. So I'm going to strive for well-being. Now, you know, if I get cancer, if a car accident happens, if I'm injured, like that's, that's those things that out, are outside of my control. But what I intake on a normal basis, how I sleep, how I exercise, that's a whole other issue. What we do in our physical bodies affects how we live in the story. Yes. No, that's really well said, Ben. You're, you're so right. So one of the things that I think um, this approach that we're taking to the scriptures from this missional drama approach created in God's image, on mission with him, seeing the plot line, the storyline, the scripture, it really does force us to see life in a very holistic way and not compartmentalize life. And so one of the things that was motivating us to talk about shalom was the need to integrate in a crisis moment the truth of God's word with practical living. And, you know, we need to be self-aware 
and be aware of what does rob us of our shalom and our and our peace, our well-being, and uh, you know, say no to certain things and embrace other things and live in such a way that we're good stewards of of our time, of our physical bodies, of the ministries or the work that we are entrusted with, so that uh, ultimately uh, we live as God has intended us to live. Yeah, and and the end of the story is really helpful, right? Our end is shalom. Our end is well-being and rest. The end of our story, when God comes back to make all things right and well, like the end of our story is rest with God, shalom with God. So we fight for that now because of where we're going. Um, if, if we don't believe in the end of the story, then I need to live today to make as much profit as possible. I need to get as much done as I can today. Like we will, we will live in the short term to the detriment of our long-term life. And so I think the end of the story really helps give perspective on what we say yes to, no to, what we rest during, you know, it kind of helps mediate our daily living. Like, I, no, 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 like that, that's not where I'm headed. I, I can say no to that. I don't need to make that extra profit. Like I'm going to have rest in the end, so I fight for that today. You know, so some might say, well, uh, all right, so let's play hard right now. You know, we'll live hard, we'll play hard, we'll work hard. Because you know, rest is coming in the future. Therefore, it's not time to to give attention to that in the here and now because it's coming in the future. And what we're trying to suggest is no, the the beginning and the end of the story controls how we live out the middle of the story. And uh, we're trying to advocate that modeling the beginning and the end in the middle and through crisis will be a much more attractive, uh, you know, testimony or light in amidst of a lot of chaos and darkness. I mean, the world is living in a frantic, frenzied way. And there's nothing attractive about that. But if we can live as the servants of the Lord God in light of what we will be in this moment, that, I believe, is much more attractive. And that's what the Lord will ultimately use. Because we're, we're showing that I trust my sovereign with my work, my life, my ministry, my health. And I'm going to be a good steward of all of those things. So if we could maybe sum it up, we could perhaps say that our shalom is really pursued and enjoyed as first we see it provided by the Lord God for us, his intention for us in the initial creation. Um, we, um, we see it ultimately provided for and brought about, realized through the meritorious work of Jesus Christ. And so we enjoy that peace. We are in a peaceful relationship with the living God. Uh, we see how uh, the story reveals um, coveting, idolatry, all these things that will disrupt and rob us of our shalom. And as we live out our lives, we want to walk in step with the living God, trusting him to be the one who will ultimately restore us uh, in his coming kingdom, uh, and in the midst of all kinds of crisis, enjoying the peace that he provides for us, anticipating what is yet to come, and then realizing that the story does see force us to see how life is integrated. We're not living just this compartmentalized life, but we're living a life that, you know, whatever we do, whether we eat, whether we drink, we're doing it all for the glory of God. And so from that vantage point, we say, it is my responsibility to take care of myself, 
to pursue peace, to get rest, to eat well, to exercise. And then I think uh, as a community, we need to speak into each other's lives and say, you know, you need to say to me, uh, hey, I think you're, you're pushing the margins too much. Or if I'm responding, like you had uh, mentioned in that uh, uh, one uh, illustration from your, your reading, your research, that uh, I'm, I'm a little bit grouchy, I'm a little bit crabby, I'm a little bit short-fused. It's like, hey, Ben, take a day off. Go get, you know, go get a good, go get a sleep, you know, <laughs> go get some good sleep. Uh, so that's counter to what we see in the uh, in media where it's, it's more than just eating a Snickers bar that transforms us <laughs> into the right kind of person. Yeah. But it's actually, you know, getting into bed, resting, and refueling and recharging so that we can be uh, vibrant servants of the Lord, good stewards of all that he's given to us. So we're just really kind of scratching the surface here, but we want to draw attention to this theme, how it fits into the overall plot line story of God and being on mission with him involves that we get some, we find some shalom, yeah, we find some rest. We've, we've piqued your interest and are helping to equip you to think about how you can live out the story with creativity. So what does it look like to creatively live in shalom in your stage of life, wherever you are, talk about it with your Christian brothers and sisters, uh, and then live in the story responsibly. Well, we're going to do this again and again and again. So stay tuned. Uh, uh, follow us on Instagram as well as um, you know any of your podcast platforms that you enjoy accessing podcasts from. And we'll keep trying to draw a highlight to the different uh, parts of the story that uh, really enable us to live uh, and thrive in our mission as we live in mission with God.